What is the future of film? Taking place at BFI Southbank London on 26th of November 2019, the Future of Film Summit is the essential event on the new technologies, strategies and partnerships shaping film's future. From game engine design to brand funding, the event is designed to empower storytellers and film professionals with expert-led sessions, inspirational keynotes and incredible networking across film, media, and brands. So that's Future of Film Summit, 26th of November. Tickets on sale now at futureoffilm.live. That's futureoffilm.live. Hello everyone and welcome to Film Disruptors Season 3. My name is Alex Stoltz and this is the podcast where I share insights and strategies from the trailblazers who are shaping the future of film. And if anyone had to name one company that has had the most impacts on the future of film, it would surely be Netflix. So I am delighted that today's episode features not just one, but two top Netflix execs in Jenny Yamaki and Kwame Parker, who handle respectively the platform's independent and studio productions. So that's either big movies or really big movies. And that's not all because in this very special episode, I am also joined by Stephen Wolf, VP at Annapurna Pictures, who of course are one of the most talked about and critically acclaimed entertainment companies on the planet. And I was lucky enough to meet Jenny, Kwame and Stephen recently at the Bogota Audiovisual Market, or BAM, which sounds so much cooler, doesn't it, which takes place there in July. BAM is an essential event for anyone serious about engaging with the Latin American market in film or TV. And this episode would not have been possible without their support. You can find out more about BAM at bogotamarket.com. So as well as a lot of insight into the Netflix global production machine and Annapurna's strategy, in today's show we cover emerging tech and trends, including AI, interactive storytelling. We also get the lowdown from Kwame about his experience exec producing this year's Academy Awards Best Picture winner, Green Book. If you are enjoying the show or just want to find out more, there are a few ways to stay up to date. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify or any of your major podcast platforms. You can also sign up for updates at the home of Film Disruptors, which is alexstoltz.com, S-T-O-L-Z. Just enter your email to receive all the latest Film Disruptors news and episodes straight to your inbox. And this is also where you can access previous episodes, find out more about our featured guests, and get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. So that just leads me to say thank you for listening. And now please enjoy this conversation with Jenny Yamaki, Kwame Parker, and Stephen Wolf, recorded live at the 2019 Bogota Audio Visual Market. And I started the show appropriately enough, asking the guests about their experience so far in Colombia. Eye-opening. You know, it's... Yeah. Um, for myself, I didn't realize the cultural diversity that was in Colombia. We've been to Cartagena, uh, Medellin, and now Bogota. And it's uh, given us, you know, different looks and styles of Colombia that, uh, you know, it's just been eye-opening for myself, you know, as to what's available here. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I, I would, just to add to that, we just have been amazed at how beautiful the country is mm. and how... Um, how warm and welcoming all the people are. Um, it's just been really fun, you know. Been really fast, but like, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a pack, packed itinerary. Yeah. Um, and you're saying all the right things for, oh, the, yeah. for the audience, so that's, that's, that's very good. So you're, obviously you're here, you're thinking about 
your productions and that about how your uh, you know, you know whether Colombia would be a, a great place to to produce in. Um, I mean, Jenny, can you tell me a little bit about your role at Netflix and and then I guess what you're what you're looking for when you're finding a location or a new country sure. to produce? Um, so I'm in the uh, independent film group, original production, um, and what we look for when we're going to different territories is. Obviously, that it fits creatively with the story, um, the infrastructure that's available, the crew base. Um, as my team tends to do uh, small to medium-sized projects, the fact that a, a territory has a lot of those resources is important because um, we don't usually have a lot of budget to be able to bring in a lot of equipment or crew from outside of that territory. Mm. So um, all of that is really important. We tend to shoot a lot on location, not as much builds. Um, so the diversity in the looks that a location has to offer is important for us and for the story that we're trying to tell. Mm. Is that similar for you, Kwame? You, you work on a, on a different budget level. Yeah, so we are original studio features, so we're stupid. We do, we do the bigger um, tentpole uh, films we had down here last year, Triple Frontier. Okay. You know, so we pretty much tend to make the big action visual effects, yeah. um, the circus. We come in with a lot of things. We, you know, try to get the best in the region where we were in Colombia. We went out to the best, and it's basically to give as much bang and sell it to the world globally instantly. Mm. Wow. And, and specifically, who, who are you looking, what, what kind of partners are you looking for on, on the ground? Uh, someone that could support our size. Um, you know, what we usually bring in is vehicles, weapons, um, crew, you know, explosives. <laughs> you know, so I basically need someone that's familiar with the government, familiar with policies and procedures within the country, and um, to help us, you know, make a beautiful picture and tell a great story. And so, sort of that, yeah, so, so a key part of what you're doing here is researching potential production service companies and, and looking at that infrastructure and the expertise and that sort of professionalism. Yes. Yeah. And, and Stephen, do you, any other factors which, which um, would make you choose a particular location like Colombia? Well, we, at Annapurna, we, we are uh, storyteller driven. Mm. So obviously if the story takes place in Colombia, we would want to shoot here. Mm. Uh, but in addition, we're relationship-based, so we feel like we need to have a real close relationship with the people that we work with um, because we're trying to tell stories that are usually deep and dramatic. Mm -hmm. So we want to get a, we want to get like, we want to make sure we have a real connection. Mm -hmm. um, and we've so far we've met a lot of great people that we would feel comfortable. I would feel comfortable working with. Mm. Um, here. Mm. So it's still like very much relationship. Very much based. so. Yeah. I think so. And yeah. um, also experience based. We're not. We typically don't make shows with giant explosions and stuff. <laughs> but we do a lot of location, beautiful shoots, and I think you know Colombia would add to this. Um, it would add a story. Uh, as a character to the to the picture, yeah. Uh, but it wouldn't necessarily the uh, the story wouldn't necessarily have to be like set in Colombia. No, you, no, uh, exactly. Is it? I think um, because of the, mm. the various like climates, the nice weather, mm. you could we could we could fake any um, you know almost anywhere. It's mm. typically a Hollywood trick to fake fake New York for. Anywhere, LA. Um, mm. It's hard to do, but we can mm. do it. Kwame, what what uh, projects have you worked on recently where you've been you, you're working in a in a international territory on the production at Netflix or before? I, I, well, at Netflix Global, or before. globally before I've pretty much been everywhere. Um, yeah. Like the four years prior to Netflix, I was in China for about a year and two weeks. Uh, Hong Kong and New Zealand for about eight months, uh, Budapest, Croatia, Paris, um, 
everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's um, so one of the things we usually go out for is we try to find a place that could support again our production. A lot of things are stage driven, so we're usually looking for stage facilities, and then we're looking for a strong crew base. Um, and what we've done in the past is that we've gone to a lot of locations, not only for texture and look and topography that you know may draw us into that. A good example is remote Western China for Kite Runner. That was pretty much very equal to the look of Kabul in, 19, in the 19, early 1970s. So that gave us a topography and the landscape that we needed to shoot that there. Um, but other locations that we'll go to, we pretty much go to find what helps tell the story. You know, even though we do have the effects, or even though we do have maybe a little bit of a bigger show, we are still trying to convey a story, and that's always the driving motivation. Mm. And that, so that process is, is yes, yeah, very much a creative process. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, we usually get the director and producers involved early. Yeah. You know, there is a lot of incentive. There's rebates that um, countries, cities, and states offer. Uh, and those, I think, are very attractive because what they give to us is almost like a coupon. You know, you want to put as much in front of the screen or on the screen as possible. And if you know you can go somewhere, get the locations you need, get the crew you need, and you get a little bit more bang for your buck, um, you usually have a tendency to go there because you're able to do more with less. Mm-hmm. And how many of your, how much of your production in, in, in Netflix is, is happening overseas at the moment for, for, for feature films? Well, seeing as we're two different divisions, that's yeah. two different answers. Okay, yeah, great. That's... I think for original studio features, mm-hmm. our group, I, I would say more than half is overseas. Okay. Oh. Yeah, yeah, easily, you know, I, uh, more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and on my side, it's probably, in recent, in the last maybe year, we've been doing more overseas, um, mm-hmm. but I would say maybe 25%. 50 seems a little high yeah. for doing international productions for us. Um, yeah. We tend to shoot a lot in the U.S. and um, in Canada, yeah. historically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that has to do with um, a lot of our stories are you know, um, usually set in the, some U.S. city or territory. And so finding that match um, obviously is important. So hence why we sometimes shoot obviously in the US and then sometimes up in Canada. Mm. And this is all English language films we're talking about? Correct, for, for both, Call both. Me and My Group. Yeah, I, I had one that was a little bit, we shot in Japan uh, on Netflix and that was a hybrid. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a Western story, so an English story, mm-hmm. but it was based in Japan. Mm. And just to get a sense of volume, how many, how many projects have you got? On the go, and or, je- or, or our, our group as a total. Yeah, each each of you. Yeah, individually. You've got a lot, right? A yeah. Lot. yeah, yeah. Enough to lot. keep us both very we were, busy. Yeah, okay. Yeah. There's about six. I think was, I think there's about six of us in my group. Okay. And right now we're all touching anywhere from ten to twelve movies each. Wow. Yeah. So. Wow. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's. That's, uh, that, that, that's a lot of, that's a lot of movies. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, that's, that's, that's something. Stephen, on your side, I mean, we've, we've, t- we've talked about the, the incentives a little bit. Yeah. How, how important a part of your job is that when you're, you, you're, you're calculating? Well, for, for Annapurna, not just Annapurna, and in my work in the industry and all, no matter how big the budget is that you have for the show, you're always trying to fit into a box. And I've worked on the biggest TV show in history and the small, some of the smaller ones. Um, Which one's the biggest TV show in history? In Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and even with these big, giant shows, um, it's still the same. Co- and comparing to the smaller shows, there's still the same conversation. At Annapurna, we have a a wide range. We have a, the small comedies that we're making for Hulu and where we have a bigger, and then we have a big drama that we're making for Amazon. And even no matter how big the budget is, you're still having the same issue. You have a, you have a number that you need to hit, right? And you need to hit this number. And no matter what, it's hard to hit 
because you're, you've got a big story to tell. So incentives, for, for especially for me, help add to the production. Like, look, if we, we shoot this in L.A., we're going to be at the budget, but you're not going to get everything you want. If we move this show to Colombia, if we move this show to Vancouver even, we're going to give you, you know, it's going to be hard logistically, but we're going to be able to, like, add add something to the screen. And that's what we're always looking to do. Mm-hmm. We're always trying to be creative to find a new way to save a dollar so that, not to save money. We're not trying mm-hmm. to, we're trying to enhance the show, you know, with, mm-hmm. with what we have. Mm-hmm. You know? I think it's the same old problem. We, we never have enough money for a never. film or a TV mm-hmm. show. No matter what show it is. Yes. yes. So <laughs> you can have the biggest budget, you know, you're still not enough. And it's trying to find a place that can help you know, give you that advantage to, you know, make more. Yeah, yeah. Giving, giving, giving you that edge. Um, so what, what advice would you give to, I'm sure there's a lot of people in the audience here who are in the production services business, uh, keen to partner with people like Annapurna and, and Netflix. Is there any advice you, you could give to them to increase their chances of, of that happening? Is there there any particular thing you would... I think Kwame touched on it a little bit earlier. It's just like we try to find um, the right partners for the right project, right? And so it really depends on the the type of project, like what's involved, the experience of that company dealing with, in Kwame's case, dealing with a lot of government officials' policies, regulations, trying to get in his explosives and... (laughs) Weapons and vehicles into the I country. I do story too. Oh, you do. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, and you know, uh, with U.S. productions, there comes a certain requirements that we have for financial reporting and all of those other sorts of um, administrative things that are important for us. Um, and so, yeah. companies that have that experience. Uh, and that track record is, is easier for us to be able to, to launch a, a production. Um, and if we were coming to Columbia for a week, that's different than coming to Columbia for the duration of a film. Mm. And so expertise is going to be different. And so I think there are different size projects and everyone has a different type of skill set. So. Mm. I think one of the things we always look for is um, crew. You know, it sounds like it's an easy thing, but going into different regions and countries, you really want skilled and qualified crew and uh, technicians. And there always seems to be a lack in the art department. There seems to be a lack in the AD department. And, you know, grip and electric, that's something that usually, you know, you can figure out. But it's areas where, you know, there's that on-set camera uh, responsibility with, like, the ADs, or even stunts. Stunts, you know what I mean. Yeah. So you, you know, I think for local uh, companies or local crew, uh, do as much work as you can, whether it be locally. It doesn't have to be international. Hmm. I mean, if you're shooting, you know, local TV or local films, keep working because that increases your skill set. That increases your value to us. You know, when we come in, because we come in really fast. We come in fast and heavy. You know, and I come in fast and heavy. <laughs> she come, you guys come in lean and light, maybe, you know. But um, it is one of those things where, you know, I think you've seen it in the past with some of the movies that's been, you know, that's come through here where a show shows up and the first thing everybody wants is the best in Colombia. And, you know, that's where, you know, it becomes difficult. And it's a challenge, especially for local crews, because your allegiance and loyalty are to your companies or shows you're working on. And then you also want that experience, so there's always that little bit of jumping ship a little bit. Mm. What about post? Is that, do you do, do, you do that? It, it, would that be in the same country or do you, do you take that back to you, Usually US? we take it back. Yeah. Um, a lot of times we take it back with us just because um, it's where the producer or director is going to live. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So they come here for a period of time, let's say three months. Mm-hmm. They want to return home and finish the movie there. That's where storytelling, I always feel like, develops is in the edit and the cut. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of that is done, you know, away from the yeah. home country. 
And are you and you guys still involved heavily at that at that point across the I think whole? we're different. Okay. How involved are you guys? Um, on the post side, both Kwame and I have um, our counterparts in post, yeah. and so. I'm lightly involved once the project goes into post, but day to day, my post counterparts are involved with the post supervisor and the producers and the director uh, through editorial. Um, I would say that on our, on our films, if the territory we're in has the infrastructure to, suppo- to support dailies processing, we tend to do that in, in country if, if possible. If not, then we work with a maybe a nearby country that has the facilities or we, you know, do it back in, in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, but as Kwame said, usually again, because our directors and producers are coming from the U.S., we do tend to do the uh, editorial and finishing in, in the U.S. Um, you know, sometimes we've done it in New York because that's where the director and producer are based. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, sometimes we've had, on, on my shows, we've had um, the... Uh, director being based in Canada, so we, you know, instead of having to um, travel that person to, let's say, Los Angeles, we do editorial mm. up in mm. Canada. Mm. And um, I would say for film, that's correct, but for TV, that's incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> because um, we, we do both film and TV, and for TV, you're shooting for a long period of time. So you are going to need a, at least portion of the post to be mm. local because the director and maybe the producers are gonna be on set, they're gonna to need to edit, sometimes at night, every night, sometimes maybe the weekend, and it, at the very minimum, you're gonna to wanna to color correct and do the dailies, you have to do it on set, near, near set, they call it. Right. And that's where TV and film are a lot different, where TV is a lot faster in the post mm-hmm. process, and it starts right away, and film, you shoot, and then the, you know, sure. you guys know that, but mm-hmm. everyone knows that. Although some of the bigger directors, mm-hmm. I. I know, like to have their editorial like on location with them. Right, that's true. Um, but for uh, for my team and our smaller budgets, we tend to not do that and keep editorial wherever we're going to be doing post. In the end. We bring our size. We bring our editors with us. Right. What they essentially do is the assembly. Right. They um, they assemble what you're shooting throughout the day or the week, and then take all that back at the end of filming, and then really start getting into the director's cut. Um, I do have a little bit more touch in the post period as we go along in our stuff. Uh, I think right before, just after, uh, Triple Frontier, they had Mile 22 here with Peter Berg and Mark Wahlberg. Mm-hmm. They came and did a film with us called Wonderland, which we were just uh, talking on the phone or texting or emailing the other day about additional photography or stuff that we may do to help enhance the film they did with us. So there's always that communication cycle going on. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Stephen, you, you, you're responsible for Interactive at Annapurna, and you've done some, I think your, your recent game you did was extremely well, well acclaimed. You won, won a BAFTA for, yeah. for, for that. The name escapes me. But, uh, but do, you, do you see any bleeding between those divisions in terms of those I, tech and ideas? I think so. The, the, um, our gaming department is, is a little bit unique. It's a... Um, storytelling games. Um, they look a little bit, some of them look like cartoons, but they're always telling a story. Mm. And I think that's, um, that's uh, the way we see the games as interactive stories, mm. interactive storytelling. So it's kind of similar, and um, I really don't get too involved in, 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 them, in the games. They have a whole development team, and, mm. um, but there, there are a few games that we have shot actual real footage. Uh, one of them is called Telling Lies, and it's coming out soon. And we shot a 200-page script, mostly with GoPros, and mm. they, it was pretty amazing because it's totally outside my wheelhouse, and they, they shot a... 200-page script 200, with GoPros. 200, mostly GoPros. You guys are crazy. 200 pages. There's a lot, there's a lot you can do with GoPro. <laughs> it's crazy. There's a lot you can it's do crazy. with GoPros. Um, real actors and... And as you follow the story, as you play the game, you know, you can choose what happens next. So that's why the script is so long. And, right. and I think, I can't remember how many hours of, of the so game much. will be in total, but it's, uh, it's a really cool new way of, to look at video games. Um, but we had to budget the script in a totally different way. So um, I always find that like 
with these new inventions and this new, the, all the new technology, they're, they're, every, every project's different, you know? And so uh, even though it was outside my wheelhouse, I can give my expertise and try to help the video game department make this story come alive, mm. you know? Yeah, that sounds, that sounds really cool. And uh, it sounds like you're, you're making a, a game which, uh, an interactive thing which, which looks like a film, Look, and yeah. you guys are making films which, which are Look I- like interactive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and is, have you had, either of you had experience of, of producing a, an interactive uh, Not yet, but we're, the, the, we're planning on doing more. Mm. Um, Banner Snatch, we're, we're going to do more. Um, each verticals that we call them are departments. So at some point, yes, yeah. original studio features, we're going to do one. Yeah. Indy's actually going to do one. Um, it, 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 news, it, news to me. It, <laughs> a lot of people liked it. It was it did very well. It was a you know it's a new way of storytelling. Yeah. Um, and what we're trying to figure out on our end is how the hell do you budget it? You're listening to Film Disruptors, and I'm in conversation with Netflix and Annapurna, recorded live at this year's BAM. And you can find out more about BAM at bogotamarket.com. And if you are enjoying the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And I start this section by asking Stephen about the Annapurna strategy. Tell me what, what's, uh, what, what's happening and what, where, your, where sort of your head is and, and strategy is in terms of film and Well, Annapurna is a unique company. Um, we're not affiliated with a major studio. Mm. We're kind of like a mini major studio. We have, a, we have our own rules. We don't, we, don't, we don't listen to what other people do. We don't get bullied by other companies. Um, and we try to, to tell stories in a, in a new way. Um, we have been very successful and we've in the past seven years um, for a young company we've been nominated for I think 52 Oscars wow um, <laughs> which is a lot um, and <clears throat> I think our, our main vision is to tell us change the world in a positive way through storytelling um, we we have had a little bit of change. The, the movie industry in the United States is changing a lot. So we are try, we're focusing now a lot on TV, um, still film, but also we're very small. So as we kind of shift our focus to five or six television shows, we have less, a little bit less focus at the moment on TV. We still have, I mean, on film, we still have our films in development mm. and we still have a, a strong... Um, presence in the film industry, mm. and we're looking forward to uh, a lot more mm. of both. Mm. So you're still you're still a home for creators. A home for creators. Yeah. That's the main thing, and we we try to give the creators what they want, um, whether it's you know the location they want or this the story that they want or. The actor that they want, you know, we try to um, we try to be open and honest. But you know, I, my job is production finance, so I'm not like, make involved involved <laughs> as involved in the go, development. Go make, make this happen. Yeah, make it make the numbers uh, add up. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah. So that's 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 and there's obviously the the big trend in production uh, or big trend generally, I guess, is direct to consumer. Right, now, yeah. which is spearheaded, of course, by, by Netflix. And is that... Do you, do you have any, any plans to, to have a streaming platform? Um, or um, That would be outside my wheelhouse, yeah. so <laughs> I don't know at the uh, moment um, what our plans are. We, we, mm. we are. we are a studio, mm. so we, we're a client of Netflix. You know, they're, we're, the, mm. we're, we're kind of... I guess we're the customer? Or no, no, I call you a partner. We're, we're a partner, partner for Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> so um, Amazon, Apple, we, we're, we're friends of everyone. Mm. You know, we, we don't want to... We have no intention, I don't think... I don't know what You're the looking future for holds. Yeah, yeah. You're looking for distributing we partners. We need distri- distribution yes. partners, partners yeah, yeah. in the streaming In most areas, in yeah. yeah. 
Well, we're certainly going to be a, a lot more <laughs> streaming platforms pretty, pretty soon. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, don't, I, I, know, I know this is not your, your particular area, but do you have any general thoughts about, uh, about that, about you know, the emergence of Disney Plus or AT&T? I mean, maybe, maybe oh. you, what, what do you think, Stephen? Well, we're so, happy because yeah. um, there's more buyers. <laughs> you know, we're, we're making... We're, we, we, we now have the opportunity to sell to many more people. Yeah. Um, and we have a great development team who pitches our projects all over town. And they're always busy because there's all these new places to, mm-hmm. to shop the, the projects. I, I think that um, in the end, it's still the same. Like, yeah, and I think that there's room for everyone. Mm-hmm. I, I know there's room for Netflix. It's huge. But... Um, I don't think that, that one is going to cannibalize the other. I think there's room for everyone. And I can speak on a more micro level, because mm-hmm. um, I had worked in the new, at a few new media companies. Some of them were startups. Um, some of them are not around anymore. Um, but I think with the OTT, even, even something as small as um, a YouTube startup channel that I was a part of a few years ago, I think one of the things that at that time that people didn't realize is that you can create this amazing content, but you still need marketing support to be able to let people know about this amazing content you're putting out. So if mm-hmm. you don't have enough marketing dollars, you can have production dollars to make your content, mm-hmm. but if you don't, then don't have any marketing money to support that content, then you're not going to grow your subscriber base. Mm-hmm. There's just too much content out there and you have to figure out how to differ- differentiate yourself, the content, the brand, and how to reach consumers. Mm. So I think that's part of the, the challenge that yeah. people who may be looking to start an OTT platform don't, don't realize that part. Yeah. I think it's a great time for filmmakers. I mean, if you really, th- filmmakers and consumers, I think, and I don't, just assuming this, but never in the history of cinema, okay, I could get in trouble, but, um, <laughs> but has there been this level of outlets available to filmmakers and to audiences? Mm. I mean, you know, you now have the ability to tell your story. You know, I think for many years, pretty much the entire history, stories were told by one voice, one group. You know, they were telling everyone's story. Mm. Now, you know, Colombians can tell Colombian stories and let the world hear that voice. Mm. You know, we're now in a day and age where, you know, you don't have to get bottlenecked by... Um, this is me speaking as a producer yes. filmmaker side. <laughs> <laughs> Proceed. <laughs> you know, get bottlenecked by, well, you know, theatrical. Yeah. I, I, I believe fully 100% in theatricals. I think it's, mm. it's something that, you know, we all grew up, grew up on, something that we always admired, and you always want to see something big on a 10-foot screen. But you're also in an era where, you know, when I grew up, you had a thing called mixtapes. People would make their own music, and then they'll, yes, I'm dating myself, and then they'll sell those... They'll sell those tapes to their friends just because they wanted people to hear it. Um, we now live in an era where you can basically take this, you know, your, whatever your mobile device is, see a film. I saw Star Wars, went home, um, would play with action figures on my bed, and, you know, now you see something that inspires you. You can take your phone or whatever your device is, you can shoot something, you can edit it, and you can distribute it, you know, all on the same device. You know, you're at a time where you can really experiment with your own voice. And you have, because there's so many different platforms, a need for that voice to be heard. You know, so I think it's, it's does it make work for us? Of course it does. You know, we have to make sure we're telling great films and telling great stories. Um, but I think for you guys, you know, it's your time to kick ass. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I got a shameless plug. Annapurna made a television show for Netflix called Mixtape. <laughs> coming, coming soon. You'll see oh, it. Steve, come on. Segway. <laughs> it's about a mixtape. Is it? Yeah, it's great. I love it's it. It's a musical television show. Very funny. Nice. I, 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 I remember mixtapes, too. Okay. Um, so, yeah, but, I mean, that's, that's, very, uh, that's very optimistic, and uh, I think it's, it's really exciting to hear. You know, there was a... Traditionally, there's a... Mentality. I think where you have to you, you have to be picked. You know, you have right. to be chosen uh, to to succeed as a storyteller. And now, you, you, you don't. You know, yeah. there, there's the channels and the the, the tech to do that. Uh, so, talking about storytelling, Kwame, I'd love to 
to talk about Green Book. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell me how you got involved in the first place. Um, I had just finished uh, a film called Robin Hood in Budapest, Croatia, in Paris. And uh, I was approached by Amblin, you know, what's the name? Actually, participant. Per- participant first uh, about this project. And um, they were having a hard time getting it made. It's gone around, pretty much did the studio circuit, you know. And they wanted to make it for a price with a director that's known for comedy. Um, so, you know, there was challenges involved. You know, first thing I did, I said, well, let me look at the budget. Looked at the budget. I went, well, this is wrong. <laughs> Threw that over, you know? But it was such a compelling story that I, they said, well, do you think you can help us with it? And I said, absolutely. I mean, I was hooked from the instant I read the script. And, um, you know, then met with the producers and Peter, and we had a long discussion as to, you know, what his hope was, what his thoughts were on the film. Um, and look, there are moments where we butted heads because we had to get it into a number. You know, it was a very tight budget. What, 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 what was the budget in the final? Well, if you look at it online, they, I'm, I'm not going to tell you, but if you look at it online, it says 23. It was less than that, because okay. every time online, I would get mad and go, no! <laughs> but it was, you know, less than that. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, we had to shoot it in, you know, multiple states, or multiple regions. So we chose Louisiana as a state to uh, try and get multiple looks. Um, we did do some second unit and uh, plate work in New York State, or New York and New York State. But, um, you know, in selecting crew and everybody for that film, my whole thing was find those that were passionate about it. Because, you know, I, you know, I had a pitch to everybody because I was asking people for favors. You know, I asked companies for favors, you know, and everyone, I said, listen, this is a passion project. This is something we all believe in. And could you help us out on this? And a lot of people, if they read the script, they bought into it really quick, um, or they bought the sales pitch. And it was one of those things where everybody was really gun ho to try and make something special. Mm-hmm. And it premiered in Toronto. Is that where you Toronto Film Festival? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that was that was a surprise for us because we had seen it previously um, in private screenings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we got some great numbers in our test screenings. Um, and then Toronto was really our first real audience, and um, we had a standing ovation, a hooping and hollering, and you know, Peter started crying, the writers started crying, because no one knew we were going to get this kind of response. Um, and then from there, you know, it just started this train, which was beautiful, and I liked it because I'm originally from Toronto. So I had my grandmother there, my mom, my sister, my niece, you know, and um, it was a very special moment for all of us because we had two gala premieres and each one had an explosion or eruption of uh, outpour. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, wonderful to hear. Uh, I'd like to open this up to the audience uh, to ask, see if anyone have any questions for our esteemed panel. And we do. Hello. The mic's not on. Oh, no. Quick question about your thoughts uh, with Spanish speaking content in the world ecosystem, considering America's United States, Hispanic growth, and obviously Mexico, uh, from both of your perspectives, in terms of TV shows uh, and like feature films, low budget feature films? Uh, for, for us, um, we want to tell great stories. So I believe that we wouldn't have a barrier to a Spanish-speaking, multi-language story. Um, We don't have anything in development, to my knowledge, but um, I know we're looking for great stories, so if they're in English or Japanese or Chinese, we we would want to tell that story. I think for us, LATAM uh, is exploding. Um, We have uh, headquarters, uh, one of our biggest headquarters is in Brazil. 
We do have one in Spain and, you know, opening up a uh, satellite office in Mexico. Um, what we like to do, look at, we understand the story has always, been, has always been told and comes from an American or English perspective. And one of the things that we know that we have done in the past is come into regions, um, use facilities or locations, and then left. And we also want to nurture and grow local talent and local voices because, again, it's a platform that reaches globally. And, you know, global audiences want global voices. You know, to be brutally honest, you know, the world is a little bit tired of America. So they want to hear voices from, like, I'm too honest, but they, um, they want to hear, you know, voices and dialogue and stories from, you know, other regions, other territories. And, you know, like I said, LATAM is going to be one of those that is going to explode, you know, Casa de Papel. That's been huge yeah. for us, and we're on season three now. Yeah. And um, even though Kwame and I are on the teams that do English language content, we do have our counterparts in the international originals team that do local, local language contents in, in various regions around the world, mm. including LATAM. Mm. So you could say it's, it's a core part of your, your strategy to produce local language. Absolutely. Yes. Because like our division's original film, we have international originals, yeah. which those are local language films mm. that we also produce. Mm. Oh, it's great! It's great for audiences. I mean, I've been, I've been watching Casa de, de Flores, trying to improve my Spanish, not 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 successfully at all. But um, but it's, it's fantastic. You know, you have all this diversity on, on the platform. Um, who would like? Hi. Ask another question. Oh, sorry. Um, I would like to know, even when you have your own platform, if you approach transmedia projects to engage the audiences or you receive these kind of products uh, in your, I mean, I know Netflix doesn't need uh, help to get public, but if you ever want to engage like directly with people in the streets and stuff, do you do this kind of stuff to promote your own content? And just, I just have a second question about precisely English. Is it very difficult to produce in countries with when people don't speak as much English and you need a lot of translators, what has been your experience and what is your recommendation for in the industry in these terms? I'm going to answer the second one and then you can answer the first one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will, I, will, I will answer the first one. Um, on, on that front, because Kwame and I are in you know, original film, we're not involved. I, maybe we do transmedia stuff in the marketing space, but again, that's not our area of expertise. Um, And, uh, and obviously Netflix does primarily series, series formatted content and film and not necessarily transmedia. But uh, again, we're also not in the creative department, so. Um, <laughs> that was know. an easy out. Yeah, that yeah. was the answer. <laughs> but, but it, it comes back to your point earlier about marketing, I think, as well, because I mean, transmedia is another way of telling a story, but it's mm -hmm. another way to, to market, isn't it? And right. to start getting that early, yeah. early awareness. You, Steven, do you do any, have you any projects where you're producing other con actually this is a this is a good question are you are you when you're capturing stuff on set are you thinking about other material other excerpts behind the scenes yeah, extra I, material i think so we always yeah. um, we always budget for a stills photographer right <laughs> we sometimes have uh, depending on the depending on the film depending on the film or the show we may even add the marketing department always will say, we, want to, we have this great idea, and we're always outside the box, and mm -hmm. as Netflix is. We have this great idea to do a, a special like Instagram. We did a really big Instagram, huge campaign for our movie Booksmart, which just mm -hmm. came out a few months ago. And so we shot a bunch of stuff for that outside the film, during the film. You know, it was really a fun, mm -hmm. kind of a new way to look at it. And, and we really embrace it, you yeah. know? I feel like... Netflix would really embrace it. I'm not speaking for them, but um, there are some studios where I feel like it would be a little harder. But it's future. Is that a line in the budget? When you're it's a line in the budget, but it, it will get billed back to marketing for now. <laughs> <I know. laughs> and, and we have, like we have in our film, we have sometimes, depending on the film, you'll have behind the scenes. Yeah. Like we have the stills, for, you know, mm -hmm. photographer, you have your um, publicists that are usually on all of our films. Um, but, but to go back to your second question, mm. Um, 
well remembered. The question you can answer? Yes. Oh, okay. And this question is based on my experience before Netflix because I did so much in other countries. Um, the mistake I found that majority of big films did when they went to other countries is they assumed the country they were going into wasn't experienced in the knowledge of filmmaking. So they would bring in vast amounts of people and they would pretty much just hire those to do grunt work or basically lift and carry but not actually be you know actual um, filmmakers are involved in it. Yeah. One of the things to help keep costs down that I've done in the past on films before Netflix was not only go in but try and go in with the least amount of crew because you also have culture shock which you know is something that always takes up way too much time okay, mm -hmm. and then I would hire um, translators now, why I wouldn't just go for bilingual? Because bilingual is usually a, a tier that doesn't necessarily exist in a certain country, and those that are really skilled are, you know, speak their home language. So I would usually go in and hire translators, which would usually be students or people just, you know, just out of school who were bilingual or studying English in school, and have them work side by side with either HODs or our directors or whoever our creatives are so that there is an avenue of communication um, while you're filmmaking. Like on Kill Bill, we were in China, shooting in China. I had to ask a question to our production designer who was Japanese. I, would, I had a translator who spoke uh, English, Chinese, who turned and spoke to another translator who spoke Chinese, Japanese, who then spoke to the translator. And if you guys, you guys all know about this in translations or interpretations, whatever you want yeah, to call it. Yeah, yeah. But I would ask a question. It went, the conversation went, okay. And I went, no, I want to hear more of what all this dialogue was. Um, okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's, um, there are challenges, but I think, look, a lot of nations and countries have a history of filmmaking. And it's tapping into that organic history of filmmaking in the country first and then figuring out the language second. Uh, well, one more question I'd like to... <laughs> one more question I'd like to put to the panel. I mean, we've had some amazing advice already, I think, today uh, from, from each of our, our guests, but I always ask this on, my, on, on Film Disruptors uh, it's to, to, to get your advice for an emerging storyteller, someone who wants to start their craft, has a vision, has a story to tell. What would you, what would you say to that person? Stephen? I would say, um, I mean, if, if you have a story to tell, your emerging storyteller, to just keep, keep, keep working hard, um, meet as many people as you can, and do, go out of your way to help people. I think it's important. Mm -hmm. I say go make it. Um, I'm working with Robert Rodriguez on a film for Netflix right now, and we had a long conversation about you know, his journey. And yes, he did um, Alita, and that was a huge James Cameron, big budget thing. And then after that, he decided he wants to make sure he's still true to his craft and his roots, so he does a $7,000 film. Wow. You know, wow. and, you know, he, and he's, he's going around showing, he was at con with that film. Um, and one of the things he keeps saying is just, don't allow us or anybody to stop you from telling your story or making your story. Again, like I said, the technology exists. You know, if you shot it on your, your phone or you shot it on your GoPro, no, you're absolutely right. If you shot it on the technology that exists right now, you know, even I have friends that shoot little teasers or trailers, you know, just to start the dialogue. Keep shooting. I mean, just tell your story, you know, because if you just sit and wait, then you almost kill your own craft. And what you want to do is nurture it. And nurturing it is learning by mistakes, learning by failure. And the more you keep stumbling in your earlier stage, by the time one of us comes knocking, you would have worked through a lot of kinks. Because we have a lot of first-time filmmakers that we're working with, and I'm working with on a couple of projects. And, you know, they got that break because they worked through their kinks on short stories. I would say the, sort of the same thing that Kwame says, which is, I've always looked at whatever part of the business you're in, whether it's you're a director, a writer, a grip, a DP, what have you. It's always been, in my view, like a, a trade school in a way. Every project you're gonna learn something different. It's never, there's not a shortcut. You're not gonna get there quickly. 
Um, and so just continue to hone your craft. If you have a day job, and I had friends who you know, wanted to be writers, some of them didn't make it because they were still writing this one opus of a, of a, of a screenplay, hoping that this one project they, they'd spent three years writing was going to get made into a film, and it never did. But I have other friends who just continually you know, kept writing and writing and writing and writing, and eventually um, you know, some of them are uh, writers for films, television series. Mm-hmm. So I would say the same thing for directors producers, um, and I had worked in the new media business for, before I came to Netflix, and there's so many different formats, there's so many different ways to tell the story, be creative, be innovative, try new things, because what is storytelling today is not necessarily going to be storytelling five years from now. Um, so don't be afraid to think outside of the box and try something new. Awesome. Well, I think that's a great place to leave it. Uh, so I'd just like to say thank you so much, Jenny Yamaki, Kwame Parker, and Stephen Wolf. Thank you so much, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. So that was my conversation with Jenny Yamaki, Kwame Parker, and Stephen Wolf, recorded live at BAM. 2019. And if you want to find out more about any of the guests on today's show or previously listen to other episodes or get in touch, you can do all of this at alexstoltz.com. And you can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or your favorite podcast platform. So that's it for this episode. I'd just like to say thank you again for listening. And I look forward to seeing you again soon. What is the future of film? Taking place at BFI South Bank London on 26th of November 2019, the Future of Film Summit is the essential event on the new technologies, strategies and partnerships shaping film's future. From game engine design to brand funding, the event is designed to empower storytellers and film professionals with expert-led sessions, inspirational keynotes, and incredible networking across film, media, and brands. So that's Future of Film Summit, 26th of November. Tickets on sale now at futureoffilm.live. That's futureoffilm.live. <laughs>